Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church and School right here in the heart of Chicago. I pray that you find hope and peace in the message of Christ and Him crucified for you in your life right now. Thank you for listening. And please, if you'd like to support the mission going on right here, uh, please go to our webpage, stjames-lutheran.org, to donate. Thank you. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Heavenly Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Matthew tells us, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. This Sunday concludes the Epiphany season. We've been talking all about the glory of God and what exactly that glory really is. And I think it's fitting that we discuss glory on a Sunday like Super Bowl Sunday, where we are focused on glory, but of a different sort. Today, competitors will vie for the glory that comes with a Super Bowl championship and all of the fame and honor that that brings. Maybe you're focused on a different kind of glory, although maybe you're not rooting for the 49ers or the Chiefs. Maybe you are looking for the glory of a Taylor Swift sighting at the Super Bowl. I don't know whether she made her flight from Australia. We'll find out. But on the other hand, today those of us in church are discussing a different kind of glory, biblical glory, which is very different than what the world thinks when it thinks about glory. And to get an insight here, I think we have to step back a few chapters in our Bibles and take a look at a conversation between Jesus and Peter. You see, by this point in the gospel narrative, Jesus' fame is spreading throughout the world, and people are beginning to talk about who Jesus is and what he's here to do. And so Jesus poses Peter a question. Who do people say that I am? And Peter replies, Some say Elijah or one of the prophets. Some say John the Baptist. Jesus pushes a little bit further. Who do you say that I am? Peter replies, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. One of the best confessions of who Jesus is in the entire New Testament. But Jesus's ministry, the way it looks, seems to be at odds with this confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, because Jesus' ministry doesn't look all that glorious, at least not in the present moment. And yet again, this season is encouraging us to see God's glory displayed in Jesus Christ. What does that glory look like? Well, the glory of God looks like God in the flesh, as he wins a victory on behalf of sinners— But that victory will look bloody and beaten, put to death on a cross. St. Paul tells us we preach Christ and him crucified, and the world, including you and I, kind of don't get it. In fact, Jesus' claim that this is what salvation looks like is so radical that Peter, one of Jesus' most ardent followers, will say, far be it from you, Lord, to meet such a fate. Peter's rebuking Jesus here. Talk about having things backward. But ultimately, we just don't understand how 
the Son of God's ministry could ultimately culminate in this march toward Jerusalem and the suffering and death of the Son of God. In fact, we like other language concerning Jesus' ministry. Elsewhere in the Gospels, we hear that the Son of Man is going to come in His Father's glory with angels and He'll reward each person according to what they've done. That's what we like, right? Jesus with armies of angels at his back. Jesus who's in charge. Jesus who seems to have control of the situation. So how is it then that this Jesus of Nazareth is going to come in glory if he's going to be put to death on a cross? Well, today's text, the story of the transfiguration, is trying to get us to understand is the idea that the cross and glory aren't opposed to one another. Instead, the cross means the resurrection. It means Jesus reappearing in glory. It means victory won for the church. And what's great is that the disciples, including you, the reader, the hearer, are getting a little sneak peek in the story of the transfiguration of what's going to happen at the end of our Lenten journey. You see, Jesus is showing them what's going to happen after the resurrection, when Jesus will be revealed in all of his glory, so that we can be prepared for what happens on Good Friday. We won't be shocked knowing that the cross and glory are not separate, but instead united in the cross of Jesus. The death of Christ Jesus is, in fact, glorious, Because it means that God and man are no longer far apart, but in fact are reconciled. Sin is atoned for. Sin is paid for. We have an eternal peace thanks to this glorious cross of Jesus Christ. He has won that glory for you and given it to you free of charge. So if we can think of transfiguration as showing us the identity of Jesus as well as why he's here suddenly we can understand this strange and mysterious text. Here's what Jesus does. He takes Simon Peter, James and John up the mountain by themselves, and there our text says he was transfigured before them. What does this mean? He became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach his clothes. That's how they appeared. And there, as Jesus is revealed in glory, Elijah and Moses come onto the scene, and they're talking with Jesus. What this is doing is showing us that the entire biblical narrative, all of the prophets, all of these scriptural writers, are pointing to Jesus as the one who finally saves. This is the magnificent one that we have been waiting for up and down the centuries, revealed in all of his splendor. The disciples get a sneak preview. This is he who comes to rescue his people from their sins. And in order to really grasp this, think about who Jesus is speaking to, Moses and Elijah. In Moses, we have this great central figure of the Torah, right? This great lawgiver who spoke face to face with God at Sinai and now is talking with Jesus. This is the greatest prophet who's deferring now to Jesus of Nazareth. Interesting. 
Alongside Moses comes Elijah, who we might not think about all the time as moderners, but the Old Testament saints knew who Elijah was. Elijah was considered to be the greatest prophet. He defeated the prophets of Baal. He was on the run from a wicked king and queen, and yet Elijah continued to remain faithful to his calling as he pointed to a day, a day of the Lord, when all things would be made new. So just like John the Baptist, Elijah is telling us that God is indeed on the way and he is going to provide for us a new kingdom and a new creation. We're starting to see that fulfilled. In fact, that day that Elijah spoke about is now here in the person of Jesus. Wherever Jesus is, there is the heavenly kingdom and Jesus is with his church now giving us the kingdom. So imagine if you were part of that conversation, how shocked you'd be, starstruck. This is far more than a celebrity sighting. This is identity shifting. These are people who have helped to pass down the faith to you and point you back to God. And now here they are, Moses, who died but whose grave was mysteriously lost, and Elijah, who was taken up into heaven in that chariot of fire. Both are here pointing us to Christ Jesus, who saves What does Peter do? Poor Peter. Peter speaks. Peter said to Jesus, and the question in my mind is always, why is Peter speaking? What do we need to hear from Peter, of all people, in this conversation? But Mark helpfully fills in the details, right? Mark says, Peter did not know what to say, for the disciples were all terrified. Out of fear, Peter speaks. So let's think about that. This fear drives Peter's words, and maybe we can have sympathy, but it might shed new meaning on what Peter is trying to do here. He tells Jesus, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let us make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. You see, Peter knows it's good to be with his teacher, of course, but it's even better to be with Moses and Elijah in this conversation. Peter doesn't want the glory of this moment to come to an end. But Peter also doesn't fully grasp, just like you and I, what that glory actually looks like. You see, Peter might know how important it is, what he's seeing, of course. He wants the experience to continue on. And he thinks in his mind that if he builds three tents, three tabernacles maybe the experience will continue. There's no need for this to come to an end. But Peter kind of fails to grasp who he's talking to. Three tents for three equal guests, Moses, Elijah, and his teacher, all receive accommodation. You can imagine why Peter is shocked in the very next exchange. A cloud overshadows them. A voice comes out of the cloud and says, This is my beloved son, Listen to him. That glorious cloud, we call it the Shekinah cloud that took up residence in the temple and led the Israelites through the wilderness, now returns shrouding Jesus in glory. This had not been seen for centuries, right? Since the time when God's glory departed the temple. And even more than this, the voice of God, the same voice that spoke at Jesus' baptism, declares the same words that were spoken then. This is my beloved son. Listen to him. So much of who we are as Christians can be seen in this interaction. 
our whole life of faith, our identity is found in our listening to the Son, allowing His words to shape and mold who we are. I think especially on the Super Bowl Sunday, we can think of those ways in which voices of culture, celebrities, athletes, whatever the case might be, all too often form our identities. We allow those many voices of culture to dictate who we are, what we prioritize, and what we focus on. And yet this beloved son is revealed to us as the one whose words actually have authority. We find out more about who we are in drawing near to the feet of Jesus, hearing his words and who he says that we are. As astounding as it might be to hear from important figures like Moses and Elijah, it is all the more important to hear from Jesus. The Father's voice says, this is the one to whom we are to listen, Jesus Christ, who will save his people from their sins. He is transfigured before us to underscore and to highlight that this is the Son of God, and his glory is strange. It is perplexing. It looks like a servant here to care for you. All too often, we're like Peter, right? We speak out of fear. Maybe we've said the wrong thing because we're fearful. We don't know what we should respond with when we're talking to a friend, a loved one, a neighbor, whatever the case is. And in speaking out of fear, we show how little we really understand. How many times, like Peter, have we wanted to provide words of consolation and kind of just been stuck, not sure what to say, at a loss for words? We fail to speak words of life because all too often we don't listen to the one who is the word made flesh. Now, the good news is that St. Paul encourages us, faith comes by hearing. And when we listen to the word of God, we hear new realities preached to us. We find out the core of what it means to be a Christian. God's glory is spoken to us in the voice of Christ Jesus. The only son of the Father tells us that we are his own. We are a new creation. And in fact, your sins are forgiven. In listening to the Son, we find something shocking at the core of today's text as well. You see, Peter didn't need to build three tents. He didn't need to build three tabernacles. I use that word intentionally because Jesus is where God has already tabernacled among us. Think back to Christmas, that John 1 text that we're all so familiar with. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling place among us. Same word, tabernacled. God has made his dwelling place with humanity in the flesh of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that in the flesh of Jesus Christ, their sins are forgiven, peace is restored. Now at the end of this gospel text, Jesus does a funny thing, because it's the opposite of what we would expect him to do. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus charged the disciples to tell no one what they had seen, until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Why might this be? Usually if we get good news, we want to share it with other people. We were just at a baby shower yesterday afternoon. People got good news there. They wanted to share that news with those around them. That's what we do as human beings. And yet Jesus says, tell no one. The answer to why Jesus charges them in this strange way is that ultimately the Mount of Transfiguration makes no sense zero sense, absolutely none, apart from the cross and the resurrection. 
To put this another way, the glory of transfiguration is actually chiefly displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Because God's path toward reconciliation will lead him, yes, to Jerusalem, but more importantly, to the cross, to the very depths of human suffering and sorrow. And yet, the light of Christ shone shone in the darkness, according to John, and the darkness did not overcome it. The glory of the Lord will shine forth from the cross of all places as the sins of the world are paid for, as death itself is undone. You see, God's glory is not opposed to the cross because God's glory is shown in the cross, where his great love for humanity is displayed in the all-encompassing sacrifice of the Son of God. As we progress into Lent, which is just on the horizon here, Wednesday is Ash Wednesday, I encourage you to take these words to heart, and even more than that, take the Father's advice to heart. This is my beloved Son, listen to him. We have so many ways to engage with the word at St. James, whether it's through our Bible studies, these daily devotions that we're doing, and I guarantee and encourage you that by listening to the Son, by hearing Jesus's words in Scripture, you will continually be formed into the person that God intends you to be. Most importantly, you'll hear the same words spoken to Peter. In a parallel gospel account, Jesus tells these fearful disciples at the Mount of Transfiguration, rise and have no fear, your sins are forgiven. You see, Jesus' disciples listened to those words without yet knowing what was going to happen fully during Holy Week, during Good Friday, during Easter Sunday. But you know the end of the story. More importantly, you know the way that these words are actively shaping who you are. As Lutherans, we begin each Sunday worship service with confession and absolution, where you hear those words spoken through the pastor. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus' words give us life, give us purpose, give us forgiveness, give us meaning. And that's what allows you to embrace joy within Lent. Because Lent will encourage you to repent, to return to the Lord your God with sorrow over your sin. And yet you know that at the end of this Lenten journey comes resurrection glory. You will hear the same words spoken to Jesus, now spoken of you. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus said this of you in your baptism. So Jesus's words are still giving you life, forgiving your sins, declaring you to be an heir of the heavenly kingdom. That's why we gather again and again to be in the word, to have Jesus' words speak life into our lives which are too often filled with death. And the most important thing we can hear is that preview of the resurrection, that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, he is ascended, he is living, and where he is, you, dear Christian, will be also. Transfiguration shows us that Jesus' resurrection glory is what will be won during Holy Week, and it is what is given to you free of charge. Jesus' words are words of life. This Wednesday, I mentioned, will be Ash Wednesday, and it's a time of the year where things change within our sanctuary. The Alleluia's disappear from our worship service. Our sanctuary will be adorned with purple, the color of repentance. Even our hymns will turn into minor keys. Things will be more somber. 
because we are working to understand and to take to heart what Jesus is here to do. You notice that at the end of the story of the transfiguration, Jesus stands all by himself. Moses and Elijah are gone. Why? Because we focus now on Christ alone. Christ Jesus, who has this strange and terrible work of Good Friday ahead of him, and yet Christ Jesus, who gladly takes on this work for the sake of the church, to bring you life, to bring you peace. This work Jesus does saves you from your sin. This comfort that Jesus offers, rise and have no fear, your sins are forgiven, will actually be mirrored then in the resurrection. The angels will say the same thing to the fearful women at the tomb who don't know what to do with the empty tomb. Rise and have no fear. Rise and have no fear as you approach this Lenten season. Return to the Lord your God in repentance and hope, knowing that Jesus is the center of this season. Jesus Christ's glory is still the center of the Lenten season, but it's glory that comes at a cost. Jesus' glory will chiefly be manifest in the cross of Calvary, which is a free gift for you and for me. I encourage you to come with us in this journey as we continue to learn what it means that Christ Jesus died to reconcile sinners and bring you life in the fullest sense. Amen. And now may the peace that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.